world class, does flow through his every move. He does score every game. Add Craig Butler to the list of people we have to apologise to. Yeah. Let's bring the fucking vitamin meter forward. Going up, Leon Bailey. Going up, <laughs> Josco Vardial's pants over his head as Leon Bailey gives him a figurative wedgie. Like, honestly, that is the only way Leon Bailey could have embarrassed him more today. Oh, do you want to bet against us? Against us? That morning sky gave me a love. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. In the 15th round of a December heavyweight fight <laughs> in Rocky IV, the whole world, <laughs> the entire planet, probably for the first time, saw Ivan Drago out on his feet. He was bleeding, he was hurt, he was looking for air as Rocky refused to go away, hammering at his face, going for his body. Whatever Drago tried, he couldn't get away from the torture as he stumbled around the ring. The crowd on their feet in awe and exhilaration as they realised this underdog was more than just a piece of iron, as Drago called him. They knew now this was the real deal. <laughs> and in that moment, the camera went tight on one person in that crowd. Adrian. Adrian, who only weeks earlier told Rocky not to do it. Adrian, who only weeks earlier told him he was retired. He couldn't bear to watch him in the thick of it anymore. Finito, as my pals on Twitter might say. <laughs> Adrian, who actually said the words to him, you can't win. But now in Russia, watching Rocky knock seven shades of shite out of this Goliath, Adrian, unable to take her eyes off the performance, stood up and she roared, you're gonna do it. <laughs> Suddenly, Adrian was a believer. Adrian was always a believer, you see. Adrian was never going to leave Rocky's side, not through bad times, not through poor times. And we have seen it all with Aston Villa too. Jesus and- Christ, that's about to explode there. Talk about Villa beating Man City. <laughs> and you know what, Liam? We've seen all that through because somewhere deep down, we always believed as well. And after watching City stumble out of Villa Park, the noise of the crowd still ringing in their ears. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all the times we hurt and we came back again anyway. I'm glad we emptied up after going bust. Not going to mention Tony Zia. I remember fondly the dull days, the angry times, the sick to the back teeth seasons because I knew one day I'd be watching a team like that and I'd be watching a team as good as Man City falling over themselves looking for a second to think and I'd be watching Aston Villa one day inflicting this on them thinking you're gonna do it. That was perfect. It was absolutely perfect and I honestly can't remember seeing Man City uh, completely destroyed like they were tonight. They were absolutely annihilated. They were played off the park in every sense. And just think about the way we played in that game. I mean, the variability in how we were attacking. Bailey balls, straight balls, long balls, through balls, fucking big balls hanging between every one of those players' legs. <laughs> like, And I was watching the first half thinking... 
I'm going to have to have a chat with my wee brother. Sit him down and explain to him that this is it. We've we've peaked in life. It, do, it doesn't get any better than this. Like I, I know Christmas is only around the corner. I know you got married less than three months ago. I know children exist in your idea of the future. But forget about all that. Like th- This is it, honestly. Like you, Your child's not going to have an arse like John McGinn's kind of. Like, they, they might give the impression of it with a nappy on under their trousers, but it's it's a fucking illusion. Just like the idea you can nip in and win the ball in front of McGinn's arse is an illusion. Your child isn't going to be able to shit all over Rico Lewis. They'll shit all over your living room, right? But that's not the same thing. You're going to have to use ultra-sensitive baby wipes to clean up the mess. Do you know what Una Emery wipes his arse with? Pep Guardiola's fucking team sheet. But like seriously, a, a, a bit of a bit of real talk here, and, and maybe maybe it's something you need to talk to your wife about. Do you think your first your child's first words will mean as much to you as hearing Una Emery say "up the villa"? <laughs> Not for a fucking second. <laughs> I'm going to be judging my children now. Like I never understood, you know, those fathers who. They never played at any decent level, but they're so keen to tell their children how to do it. But the thing is, they've probably supported better teams. Now we're supporting one of those better teams. So whatever my <laughs> whatever my child does, like you say, I'm just going to be shaking my head, and be like, you can't, you can't hold people off like McGinn does. Yeah, I'm going to be looking at him standing over a set piece, and be like, well, Douglas Louise does it this way. Could you not try that? And then I'm going to start. Thickening them, and they're going to they're going to step away from football then because every time I'd be like, why don't you just turn on the ball like Bailey does and run at them? Just go past them, like it's fine. Uh, oh, we've ruined ourselves. <laughs> and there was only one goal in this game. There were a lot of chances. I mean, the stats coming out of this were ridiculous, and this was a bit different, wasn't it? Because. I think we were trying to savor it. We were trying to just sort of appreciate, especially the first half performance. It was it was unbelievable. There was one stage that Haaland actually just hoofed the ball away on the turn in his own box. And this wasn't from a set piece. He came back in open play to help out. Ended up on the ball, cleared it away. Nobody's there. He's the striker. He's Erling Haaland, the best striker in the world. It's just turning, lashing the ball away against Aston Villa. Like it's... It was actually mad, the performance. We'll go into it, but the stats were, at halftime, it was like Villa had 13 shots against Man City, the most that any team has ever had against a Pep Guardiola team in the leagues uh, during the first half. And it didn't feel like, oh, it's a real shame we didn't we didn't make the most. I don't know about you, and it, this it honestly is in hindsight. It felt like we were going to come back out and have a... A performance equally as competent and we're just going to keep doing this stuff and felt like genuinely it felt like we're at the table here like they might have a bit of control but i trust us now i don't feel like we're, we're out of control in any way and i trust at some stage we'll get the ball back and we'll just do it again yeah i mean the start of the second half we couldn't get a touch of the ball for the first seven minutes it was really frustrating i was thinking ah right here we go after we yeah. absolutely blew them blew them away in the first half i was like ah we're reverting to the mean here now but we weren't reverting to the mean man city had two shots is what the stats are going to say they had one chance and the two shots came from the same move yeah. that they had that was the only time they threatened us there was one where dougie nearly headed the ball out of play i'm sure we'll come back to it and went to martinez's stomach but that was it they were <laughs> 
they were completely blown apart. Honestly, I've never seen it before. I've watched a lot of Man City games because they're never off the fucking telly. And I've, I've never seen this happen. Like Pep Guardiola was just sitting there because he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how he was going to change the surround. He didn't know how to react to this performance. His own team weren't as good as it could have been. And the team they were playing against were just annihilating them, exploiting everything that Man City were doing wrong and just running over the top. And there was, there was about, I would say, if you put it all together, clipped it all together, there's about five minutes of Man City clearing the ball to the age of yeah. their own 18-yard box and a Villa player just collecting the ball again. It's mm. insane. That was in the second half. It was actually laugh-out-loud stuff. It just felt like they were they were scrambling to clear. Pau Torres would take it down and bang it forward again. It was it was honestly roles reversed. You know, we, we had a decent team and a great run last year under Emery, but when we played Man City, it was like, ah. They just do everything well. They keep the ball well. They, they control it even when it's not neat. And we were doing that to them over and over and over. The goal felt inevitable. And the goal finally came in the 74th minute. And it came. Like, Bailey was really good all day. Bailey's obviously really exciting. Gets you off your feet. But he was just holding boys off. It was, it was like everybody was on it today. We're going to have a lot of fun in the Vimin meter at the end of the show. But every time the ball was hit down the right wing. Bailey was in front of his man, ready to hold his man off. And this time, he held his man off and then he realised, that's Vardio behind me again, isn't it? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, boy. And he just ran him, he ran him, he ran him. Vardio was trying his best to keep up. And have you ever seen anybody create as much space with one simple turn on his right foot? And we know Bailey's going to come on his right foot. And there was about 10 yards of space in that one step. I mean, Bailey is sharp, pretty poor from a Vardial point of view. And then this Ruben Diaz guy was getting in the way of fucking everything all, all evening. And I was so thankful he got in the way of this shot. Well, the shot didn't look too bad, actually. And it, uh, it just went into the empty net then as, as Ederson was wrong-footed. Yeah, it's, it's a good ball into Tielemans as well, though, at the start of the move. He does well to flick it because he knows he just has to get the ball to Bailey. Like, whatever mm. way you can, just get that ball around the corner to Leon Bailey. And Conan, I owe Steven Gerrard an apology. I got to the stage last year where I was genuinely going to report Leon Bailey to the Met. Like I, I wanted his phone checked, his hard drive scanned. <laughs> like you, you could not convince me that Leon Bailey was not blackmailing Steven Gerrard. That was the only thing that could explain his repeated inclusion in the fucking Aston Villa team. Like Bailey had footage of Gerrard wanking with an orange in his mouth and a belt around his neck. Listen, if Stevie G was into a bit of erotic asphyxiation, I can't blame him. Like, how could he possibly simply be aroused by his wife after he spent the fucking morning watching Leon Bailey shake his hips in the training pitch? The bar for being turned on has been raised. But but Stephen, Stephen Gerrard wasn't being blackmailed by Leon Bailey. Leon Bailey was just playing for a shit team then. Liam Bailey was playing for a team that hadn't been coached against a team with structure. And, and you know when Liam Bailey was looking good? Whenever he was playing against a Steven Gerrard team in training, when it had all been equalised, when both teams were equally ineptly set up. So, of course, of course, <laughs> Steven Gerrard picked him. He was fucking light. He was playing like this in training for Aston Villa. How could Steven Gerrard possibly leave him out? Now look at him, like world class, does flow through his every move. He does score every game. Add Craig Butler to the list of people we have to apologise to. Yeah. Let's bring the fucking vitamin meter forward. Going up, Leon Bailey. Going up, <laughs> Josco Vardial's pants over his head as Leon Bailey gives him a figurative wedgie. Like, honestly, that is the only way Leon Bailey could have embarrassed him more today. <laughs> 
He was brilliant. And once again, it was another example of a Villa player looking at the matchups and thinking, I could take him on. And I don't even mean literally take him on. I mean just over the course of a game, like I, I can get the better of him. And it felt like once again, Villa were doing that all throughout the team. Like I said they were all on it, but they were all they were all extra tuned in. Okay, that's great. And I mean, every time the ball was coming, they were scanning everywhere. They knew the new city could be all over them. New city would have a, a good press. They would try and set traps. But they were all out to prove a point. This is the thing about this game. This wasn't... This wasn't a game where it was like, you know, it was, it was a brilliant performance. It was a great result. And we're getting so many great results under Jan Emery. We didn't get one under Gerard. Like that, that, that's, look, forget about it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but all throughout this match, the Villa players were out to prove that they could compete with the very best. It felt like that. It felt like Kamara was trying to take them on. It felt like Dougie wanted to show. Dougie, before the game, was set. we was talking about beating Man City and Arsenal, saying like that's the standard that we want to go to. This isn't a team that wants to just compete. They actually, I feel like they now believe, because they've been set up so well, they've been coached so well, players improving to a ridiculous degree, and now they want to go out and show... We can take these boys on. Not only that, we can string them up and we can do it for 95 minutes. Welcome to Villa Park. Yeah, Bournemouth must be some little team as well, to be fair to them. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, I, I, I think that's the, that's the best performance that I can remember seeing an Aston Villa team put in. I mean, we're playing against Man City today. Man City, some players missing, so do we. But we like I, I can't I can't emphasize enough. Anybody who didn't see the match is not going to believe what we're talking about here. We completely obliterated them. They had two shots from the same move in the seventh minute and didn't have a sniff at our goal for the rest of the game. And Aston Villa were just creating chance after chance after chance and doing it in so many different ways. Yeah. Like I said there at the top, the variability in how they were doing it, punching holes straight through the middle, Torres on the ball, just drilling it into midfield, midfielder turning, Kamara shaking his hips, turning on the ball, running at them, Doggy putting his studs on the ball, balls over the top, balls over the top that you pan the cameras, panning around, you go, what the hell was that? Oh, we're through again. <laughs> Watkins is in, Bailey's in. Absolutely ridiculous. I, I couldn't believe we had about six game plans and we implemented them all at the same time and the <laughs> players were able to carry that in their heads while they were playing against the best team in the world absolutely incredible mm. 22 shots was the final total the the joint most faced by a Guardiola side uh through his time managing in the top leagues like it was Borussia Dortmund out in Germany that that equaled that as well they equaled you and I Emery that's saying something but there was one other instance where we actually had the ball in the net as well. And uh, I was hoping that VAR might actually... We've seen a lot of leagues now. We've seen the optical illusion. We've seen that the ball can still be in when it looks out. But uh, it looked pretty It looked pretty far out. And it was it was a Douglas Louise header. A great header. Great leap. It was just bang on halftime. It was it just, just great passes to play. We cut through them. Like, don't forget, Man City played six defenders today. That's <laughs> six defenders on the pitch, if we can count Rico Lewis. And Villa were just going through them when they wanted. And this was Luca Dean and, and John McGinn, one, two. Watkins was played through by Kamara initially, but he sort of back healed it back to John McGinn. But then McGinn and, and Luca Dean got going, and McGinn just sort of played him too far into that byline. We used to joke about him standing Luca Dean deeper down the pitch, but this time he sent him off the pitch, and it was a nice ball from Luca Dean. But 
Douglas Ruiz's great header didn't count because it had gone out of play. Yeah, I mean, John McGinn was playing with Alex Moreno in his own head there, wasn't he? I mean, but like, they, they went past that pretty fucking quickly, didn't they? Like, good process, yeah. boys, move on, move on, move on. Like, it definitely looked out of play, but so did Saudi Arabia's earlier in the season, yeah. so did Japan's in the World Cup. I want more than two replays from dodgy angles. Give me the fucking across the line. Show me that that's out of play. And we're playing against fucking Man City. I need a bit more proof than just moving on. Yeah. Let's take a breather. What a result. What a performance. We're going to go to WhatsApp Winges, but don't worry, we're not going to dwell too long <laughs> on WhatsApp Winges. See you there. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Bubakar Kamara has a couple of fines to deal with, unfortunately. Thought he was good tonight, but he did try a switch of play to look at Dean that went straight out of play. So just find and touch with a pass. And he did it again, probably to a more uh, extent in the second half when he took a throw in from Kanza and he tried to return at him and he hit it out of play. This is on the right hand side now as well. So can't be having that from Bubakar. Pau Torres let an Emmy Martinez ball roll under his legs, go straight out of place. So Pau Torres is also getting a fine. And Emmy Martinez, 94th minute free kick. I do not need to see you kicking that ball straight out of play, pal. I just need to see you putting that ball onto John McGinn's chest and everybody else will be deflected away. The, the, fir- the first one Kamara to Dean was so annoying because we could all see that Kamara wanted to play it, but he can't play it the way he's swinging. Is it? The only place that ball was going whenever he swung his foot at it was exactly where the fucking ball went, out of play. He was <laughs> never going to be able to fade that across to look at Dean. And he, couldn't, he also couldn't take his time. It was too hard to resist because the ball was on and he was through. But it should have been easy enough to resist, to be honest. Uh, the one, like, what is Martinez doing? He's got John McGinn's arse and he's got fucking John Duran's back. Pick one of them and play the ball to it. <laughs> the John McGinn shot. Now, I know John McGinn won Aston Villa's goal of the month with a shot from outside the box. But I mean the John McGinn shot, the faraway shot, the one where he's not set, the one that he's decided is shooting even before it comes to him and... 
I mean, he tried one. It came from a look at the in corner, and he's on the right, and he's pulling it further to the right. Into a crowd of bodies as well. Lucky he got blocked down. It was an ugly shot. Douglas Ruiz wasn't far off a John McGinn shot either. At least he won a corner straight after it. And then John McGinn tried another one with his right foot this time from so far out. And there's one more John McGinn shot nomination. And it was Douglas Ruiz again. So two each for these boys. It was... It was brilliant play again, Villa high up the pitch, winning the ball back. Douglas Ruiz nicked it in front of Alvarez. We were just reading every time Man City were trying to come out. We had so much pressure on everyone that nobody was able to just sidestep any of our players. That meant the players further down the pitch could step forward and win the ball in front of the City players. And Douglas Ruiz, he, he had Bailey inside him. And it's because Telemans had made a run to drag a defender away, so there was almost a man over, but he just he just let fly, and in that case, we maybe could have worked it. But maybe he was looking at it thinking, well, Bailey's just going to let fly anyway, so why don't I try one? Yeah, I mean, the question you have to ask there is, like, has based on his performances this year, has Douglas Louise earned the right to have that spank? And I can answer that, no, he hasn't. I mean, you're saying that Bailey was available inside, so was Telemans, so was Watkins, the ball has to go into them. And even if it isn't, if he wants to have a shot, carry it in a little bit, though. You've mm. got so much space. And the camera panned back to Unai Emery or showed a replay of Unai Emery's reaction. He didn't seem too perturbed by it. He just gave it the old puffed-out cheeks, like, oh, close one. It's like, what are you talking about? Tell him to calm down there, Unai. Not that Douglas Louise needs to be told to calm down and not that Unai Emery needs to be told <laughs> how to manage. Well, we, we, we need to continue to be very demanding of you and I. <laughs> <laughs> the only WhatsApp wins I have. If I was Ezra Konza, I wouldn't be telling anyone that I didn't touch that. <laughs> why, why is Ezra Konza so keen to, to appeal his innocence to, to show that he didn't touch it to say that it only came off Phil Foden why is Ezra Konza raising his hands to draw attention to the fact that he missed a header so deep in our box with Phil Foden standing right behind him Ezra Konza went up trying to get the most elaborate header like, he tried to get a Tyrone Mings header on it only he was doing it in the wrong direction and he missed it he missed it completely and thankfully he just hit off Foden and went out I, th- I thought that was just a brilliant dummy from Ezra Konza there's no <laughs> way like that was so elaborate so over the top so it was almost ironic the way he was doing it like it, was, it couldn't possibly be anything other than a dummy to fool poor little Phil Foden into thinking that the ball was going to be headed past him well, we're going to mention another Ezri Kanza header in the Rosenthal Award, but right now we're going to take a quick breather and we'll come back with all the awards after this. And he was given out about the instinct to assume that they're guilty. That's because we can see the team that you're fielding. That's... That's because we can see that a club with the fans who can just about create the same level of atmosphere as Denmark versus Tunisia in Qatar, a club like that shouldn't be able to spend £400 million on defenders in three years. Pep Guardiola knows that his legacy is in question here. 
Pep Guardiola is so terrified of people on Twitter to call him Fraudiola. And like, listen, some of those people have a point. I mean, in his last season at Barcelona, he had Messi running around scoring 73 goals. But Pep led them to second place, nine points behind fucking Aigouger Mourinho's Real Madrid. And were knocked out of the Champions League by Roberto Di Matteo's Chelsea. His first year at treble winners, Baron, they were beaten 5 0 by Real Madrid in the Champions League. He didn't even win the double in his second season. Oh, but he played Philip Lam out of position. You know who didn't play Philip Lam in midfield? Treble winner, you pinkers. Do you know who had to play Felipe Coutinho in midfield? Treble winner, Hansi Flick. Roberto Di Matteo's Chelsea. Bayern Munich have won the last 10 titles. It doesn't matter who the manager is. Niko Kovac won the double in his only full season. He was hounded out by November the following year. Do you know who he's managing now? Of course course you don't! don't. don't. He's just some manager. Any manager who took over and won the double. It's not a league, it's a fucking procession. Bayern Munich literally take the best player from the second best team. From the second best team in the same league, it's insane. They signed Goetze in Pep's first year. Then Lewandowski the following year. Then they left him alone for a year and then they signed Mats Hummels. <laughs> Can you imagine if City signed Salah in 2018 and then Manny and then the following year signed Van Dyke? <laughs> the Bundesliga is a fucking joke. And, and regardless of how good a coach Guardiola is, no matter how well he's taken Cruyff's template and superimposed better players onto it, anyone, anyone could do what he did at Bayern. As demonstrated by the fact that everybody has. Anyone could do what he did at Bayern. Everybody has. Let's start with the Paul Merson. Oh, that is just filthy award. And I have got two nominations. One of them was when the play ended up being stopped for offside anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered. But I appreciate it nonetheless. And this is the spirit of this award. Pau Torres dinks over his own crossbar of an empty net right there with a drilled-in Alvarez ball and Haaland behind him. And Pau Torres has the wherewithal to get his foot under it and just scoop it over the bar. It was lovely. It was lovely. I think the most the most lovely thing about Aston Villa's offside trap tonight was the players were so confident in it tonight. Yeah. Like they they had absolutely no. There was a couple of times where they nearly just stopped and started jogging back into position. Like they've almost stopped going through the routine of running back and tearing their hamstrings to try and block the ball because they now trust the offside trap so much. That one was particularly nice. But I don't know Man City weren't brilliant at staying on side today by any stretch of the imagination. But I just thought that was so incredible to see them how confident they were in playing the playing the line. This is the thing, though, right? Because I think if you look back at some of the games, and if you if you go into the opposition Twitter fan Twitter, you, you you'll see like Spurs, for example, people pointing out complaining that their player didn't play the ball second earlier today. The commentators are pointing out that Haaland didn't play a ball earlier to Foden, and in one sense they're right, right? But if you look at it. 
when Haaland has the option to play the ball, Kanza is running. Kanza's aware that this ball might go in behind me. Then when Haaland doesn't play it, Kanza stops. He stops and lets Foden run on, and then Foden stops, and then Foden has to delay, it, and then he's like, he knows he's offside, and he's chasing after the ball anyway. And there's so there were so many of that where Haaland stopped running as well then because he knew he was caught. And and it's the players, like you say, it's the confidence. It's 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 magical to watch, and it only works because they are willing to go as well, and and they're ready to go. It's not that they're willing to go. It's they they know when they have to go, and then they know when they can step. It's because they're watching the player on the ball the whole time. And when they see that he's delayed, they can step up. Then it's like they, they have eyes all over it. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> even the comment. Who were those commentators? Or who was that uh, analyst today? Watching that and saying he has to play it there. The ball's under Haaland's feet, and Kanza is in a perfect position to cut out the pass that he thinks can be played. It's absolutely. It was. Do you know the reason he said he has to play it there? Was because Foden was on side, but the pass <laughs> isn't on. <laughs> The only other nomination I have for the Paul Merson, that's just filthy award, was the Telemans drag back out to Kanza. Mm-hmm. That was filthy. It was great. He, he's got his back to goal. The ball is drilled into him and he lets it come in the instep of his right foot, brings it around behind his left heel and flicks it out to the right wing. It was glorious stuff. Maybe, maybe taken away ever so slightly because he tried it again a few minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in isolation... The bit of skill deserves praise. Yeah, and it, he praised it himself in his own head and tried it again a few minutes later. But uh, <laughs> there was one in the first half as well when Tielemans was out in the right wing and he dragged it back into his own feet, brought two Man City players with him and then just toe-poked it in between them again and carried on, rolled it back to Pau Torres, I think. But it was just delicious to see that, just to the composure. Man City thought they had a press on, they thought they had jumped at the right time at Tielemans and he just made them look like mugs. There were a couple of other things like with, with Bailey's feet just stepping away from people, stepping over, sort of having them on a string, really. Having, having like Definitely having Vardio spread on toast, the poor fucker. But... He had the fucking ball on a string. The, the man's feet were absolutely insane, the ball. Yeah. Like, I, I, I can't emphasize enough how quickly he was moving his feet and controlling that <laughs> ball. It, it looked like the ball was gone from him and all of a sudden he's just got it on his right toe again. Or, yeah. And he's dropping it in between his legs. Looks like it's behind him, but he's still managing to control it. Like, he's just staring straight ahead like fucking Michael Flatley, but only he's got a fucking ball on his feet. Way more impressive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was on it then there was a couple of times like we can we'll talk a bit more maybe well definitely about McGinn's arse later but like just so many times because his arse always buys him extra seconds it lets him turn it lets him turn all the way like he just if John McGinn decides he wants to hold the ball under whatever pressure for 15 seconds he can do it and if he decides he wants to run in any direction under whatever pressure he can do it and there were so many times where Bernardo Silva who was getting a bit bullied by, by John McGinn let's be fair he was getting a bit ratty like he tends to do and then he, he's diving in there and he's trying to leave something on him. He's trying to win the ball back. And I am just watching him, like just nudging him to the side of him to keep the ball away from him. And then stepping around, him, just dragging the ball left foot to right foot and then running inside. It was it was incredible how many times that happened. Bernardo Silva trying to leave something on you. It's like cycling into a fucking blue bottle, Connor. That's about the amount of you notice that. <laughs> I'm going to give the I'm going to give the winner to Telemans anyway though it was just it was just the most standout Whoa! and it was probably the most Paul Merson of them all as well absolutely let's do the Rossenthal award there were a lot a lot of chances we talked about the stats earlier but the first one comes from Leon Bailey 
ball over the top from John McGinn. Do you think McGinn knew that Bailey was an option there? Was he was he looking for Watkins? Anyway, Watkins leaves it because he's offside and Bailey doesn't leave it. He chases up and the touch, the first touch isn't ideal. It's, it's fine, but I think he's sort of rushing it. He's just expecting to be under a bit more pressure than he is. He doesn't use Watkins inside him. His shot is low, just not enough on it. Like he, I think he wanted to pull it across. You could see when you look at the replay, but he, he just didn't catch it the way he wanted to. I think given how John McGinn played tonight and how everybody played tonight, you have to believe that that was a pass to <laughs> Bailey. Otherwise, it was an absolutely atrocious pass to Watkins. Yeah. And it's a big, big chance. I mean, he, he gets it on the stronger right foot, but the touch just, yeah, you're right, that isn't really good enough, really, gives to give himself a massive chance. I'm, I'm glad he shot, though. I, I don't like players dicking around whenever they get into that position and thinking, oh, it's not perfect, so I better not shoot. Like I've said before, sometimes it's better to just get the shot away. And I, there was no dicking around from Bailey at all tonight. The, the, the movement of the ball whenever he wasn't, whenever dribbling wasn't the best option was incredible. The first time passes he was playing and shooting, the shots he was taking on, the understanding that the move had kind of broken down a little bit and then having the spank anyway, it was all absolutely spot on. And there was one even just before that as well, it was Luca Dean got put in down the down the left and he ended up having a spank and I, I don't mind again I don't mind it at all like sometimes the yeah. move has has broken down didn't work out as you would have liked but you can still you can still get the shot away anyway it's not an ideal shot but when you've got a left foot as good as Lucas why not have the shot and you can see Ederson wasn't set either and Ederson's kind of left his front post there to be hit by Luca, and it's not a bad effort Liam will I give our listeners a little peek behind the curtain of production because I had that look at Dean effort in WhatsApp winges, but in the spirit of tonight, I didn't feel like I didn't feel like winging too much. But it, it went. And I'll just read it out now. So why not? It went. The one time look at Dean doesn't put it on a plate for someone. Watkins has an open net if he just drove it across. I feel like he could have just drove that across. I th- I think the angle. I think I think that was well defended by Martin Tyler's hero Ruben Diaz. I mean, I don't think the angle is there for the cross. And I said, I think the ball hasn't moved quickly enough. So I think he is right to have the shot. Diaz is very good, in fairness. He reminded me of, <laughs> this is so it reminded me of Van Dyke playing against Villa or no, Villa playing against Ireland at some stages there where he just he was the one person just always getting in the way, foot thwarting. I'm saying that as if Ireland were hammering down the door against look, let's let's leave Gerard aside, let's leave Ireland aside, let's enjoy ourselves for fuck's sake. <laughs> let's enjoy ourselves for fuck's sake. Yeah. Just like future Ireland manager Steve Bruce would say. <laughs> Don't. The second nomination for the Rosenthal Award was Pau Torres, so it's a lovely John McGinn pass. It's after a corner. It's a decent strike of his instep, but maybe he just hesitated for a second too long, just allowed Ederson to read it. By the time he does hit it, Ederson sort of stepped across. In Heinz, look, we were all looking at that top left corner, <laughs> and we all knew Pau Torres. If anybody could do Pau Torres, can whip it in. But in hindsight, maybe it would have been better just drilling it for the near post in, considering just the, the delay in hitting it. Yeah, like uh, McGinn, McGinn looks like he's trying to fill a fucking graduated cylinder, getting down to make sure the meniscus was level before he played that pass. It was <laughs> so strange. And Big Pow looks like he was in danger of tearing his meniscus, the effort he's putting on to try and run around that ball to bend it <laughs> into the top corner. And that's what gives Ederson the chance, because it was so obvious what was happening. Yeah. Man City had a chance in this game. Martin. <laughs> Martinez made a big save on Haaland, Haaland's left foot. He, he read it, like we're talking about Ederson reading it, he, he read that like an open book. 
and then the ball comes across then for the header and Martinez saves it. And like the beauty of this is he's diving backwards. We, we talk about 3D Martinez and he's diving back, gets two big palms on it. Lovely touch from Pau Torres and they take it away from two City players who are around the line and he just takes it out and he actually pokes it out to Bailey who's holding the man off then on the, on the right wing. Great stuff. Oh, just great stuff. But great save from Martinez who was up celebrating no sooner than he had kept it out of the net. That was brilliant. Yeah, it's too easy for Foden initially, though he just runs by Kanza and Tielemans. I'm not sure what has happened there. And then Elizabeth Taylor loses his man again. And for some reason, the best centre forward in the league is just running straight through on goal. And I think this, what was this, about seven or eight minutes in? It was their first and last chance. Yeah. But at that moment, I was thinking, Jesus Christ, am I have to watch 90 minutes of Palan just running under 15 yards of space? What the fuck? <laughs> Two good saves to Martinez. You're right to draw attention to the touch from Torres for the second one. Absolutely ridiculous. And it'll tell you how good a footballer Pau Torres is that Martinez is celebrating as the ball is landing at Torres' foot because he knows <laughs> the danger is clear. They did have another chance, but they didn't make anything of it. It was poor Phil Foden catching fresh air. Poor, poor Phil Foden doing his best Aston Villa dark days impression. <laughs> <laughs> Card sent us a tweet saying, other teams do it too. They missed the ball. <laughs> Phil Foden missed that ball like you or I in a batting cage down in Galway trying to trying to hit trying to hit a, a baseball with a baseball bat. Just poor timing, poor coordination. <laughs> yeah, the commentators didn't really dwell not too long. They just kind of said, "Oh, he was trying to decide whether or not he was going to side foot it or oh. smash it," and he tried to smash it, and missed it, and moved the on. Ball, like, the ball, him off. Passed him. The ball was past him by the time he tried to swing his leg. It was all oh, that's what it reminded me of. Do you know when we you're playing that you're you're trying to hit the baseball and you don't understand why you're like, "I know I can do this," but the ball's actually past you by the time you can engage your brain to swing your arm to swing the bat. <laughs> the ball's gone. That's what Phil Foden. I should not be comparing Phil Foden to me swinging a baseball bat. I'd say if he swung ten times at that, though, Conley wouldn't miss it ten times. <laughs> Dan Villa had all the other chances in the match. Genuinely, Leon Bailey. I, initially, I, I had written down he ignored Telemans' run to his right. This is from the Conza ball. But the commentator said it wasn't a great ball. It was, Jesus, it was a, a lovely little scoop over the top into space into Bailey as well. And Bailey just takes his time getting under control, but he does because he's, he's doing all sorts with his feet. Telemans burst a gut to get up to the right, but Vardiol sort of stepped stepped off to watch that run. Bailey just let fly himself with his left foot. And then lovely Douglas Louise, free kick, and Courtney Conza gets up and heads it as high as he can. <laughs> That's a reference to Courtney House's 50p head, if nobody's following that, but terrible header from Conza. Yeah, the Bailey one, the first touch is absolutely disgustingly good. And then Watkins is off to his left as well, and he's desperately trying to run into an offside position. And initially, I, th- I thought it was just shite centre-forward play, but now I know he was just trying to make sure that Bailey didn't try to pass him the ball because all he knew which pony he was betting on today, and that pony was Leon Bailey. I'll get out of the way, make sure I'm offside, so Leon Bailey, who's a fucking genius as well as a brilliant footballer, won't try to play me the ball. He'll just take it himself and have a spank. Decent effort. Good save. The Kanza header and the other incredible ball from Douglas Louise. What was McGinn doing actually there? Looked like he was auditioning for fucking Pete Tong standing in front of Ederson and then just drifts out to the back post. And I thought, brilliant, he's completely free. They haven't followed him. Yeah. They looked in, thought that lad's yipped off his head. Why would we bother marking him? And then he's just drifted out to the edge of the box and been left alone. Yeah, 
there were two other nominations towards the end of the first half. It was a lovely play from Luca Dean to John McGinn, and he does a little pitching wage over the top to Luca Dean, who's gone on down the left again, and he chips it inside for a Leon Bailey volley. He catches it horribly, and then there's a cock up in the side of the defence. I think it was Vardy old, bit of Bailey pressure. Tielemans is blocked down. Ederson was scrambling. Maybe Tielemans could have gone a bit faster. I don't know. And, uh, yeah, you, you think so? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, you're right. Big Bailey putting got Vardy all under pressure, and I I just wonder was it there for the first touch? Like, could he should he have tried to shoot with his first touch? I don't know. Does he need to take it? Did he realize that Ederson was not covering his goalposts at all? I don't know. I think he just takes the touch, thinking thinking it's just a normal attack, and then he realizes and he's kind of panicking and trying to get it on his left foot to shoot. That's a really good recovery recovery from Vardy. But I think I think it was there for just the first time shot. Oh. Probably my winner, it was in the second half, it was John McGinn, and, and it's a winner because he did such good work, he, he like, I'm, I'm praising Ruben Diaz there, how good he was, how influential he is, and how annoying he is, and then McGinn just steps right to him, he just pretends like he's shooting on his left, comes into his right, walks past him, and it's almost like he has too much time, it's a, it's a lovely Bailey ball, who's intercepted, the, Jesus, Leon Bailey was fucking brilliant, but he's played it, played it across to John McGinn, and he's just dummied. Ruben Diaz walks around him and it's on his right foot and you think it's going and it reminded me a bit of Wes Hulahan where it was almost too easy, he just, he just walked through walked into the box, Wes Hulahan <laughs> against Italy at that time where he had that massive chance before he actually scored in the Euro 2016 and yeah, you're, again you're just looking at the bottom corner waiting for it to nestle in but he, his right foot wasn't on it today Yeah, it makes, makes Martin Tyler's hero, Ruben Diaz, looked like a fucking <laughs> post box. It was so pathetic. I can't believe how easily it was turned. Maybe he knew how bad John McGinn's right foot was and just thought he's never, he's not going to turn on to his right, does he? John McGinn, no way. <laughs> and then Dougie got on to the end of a block walking shot really well. It reminded me of, of John McGinn in the championship playoff final following in on a shot that's deflecting in on the keeper coming out only this time the keeper's good and it's a great save from ever from ederson <laughs> as uh doggy tries to hit it in the tight angle and then doggy off the post we're saying there has he earned the right to let one of these shots fly and geez he almost did he almost did earn the right it was a a nice shot covered well by ederson but it's it's whipped around him and again just lovely play look at dean again actually look at dean into Watkins. And the first time layoff, again from Ollie Watkins. How many times are we saying this over the last few weeks? Just him nicking the ball off the runners, just knitting everything together so well. Yeah, the the first one from the deflection. I mean, just the, the pressure, this is what we're talking about at the top. The pressure on and off the ball, just in their faces, making them panic. This is the five-minute period where I don't think they cleared their 18-yard box. We've cleared it with one clearance. They couldn't get the ball out, scuffed it, picked up by Bailey, picked up by Torres. <laughs> and when we inevitably won it back, it's not a great shot. And I think Douglas Louise actually does really well to get onto it. He doesn't make a bad connection with it at all. Initially, I thought it was a shit connection, and that's why he booted it away in anger when it went out for the corner. But it's actually just a brilliant save from Ederson. He does really well to cover the space. And we'd be talking about Martinez for about five minutes if that was him. Maybe we wouldn't because we expect it from him. <laughs> and then the one off the post. Oh, my God. The patience of that man. The confidence just to turn down the shouts of 40,000 people 
every time he gets the ball, the shouts to ask him to shoot. <laughs> and it happened twice in this very move. And he turned it down twice. And then eventually he got it and it was set. And the crowd did shoot, shoot. It seemed to take Dougie by surprise that it was on. There was no pressure on him at all, which made Man City look absolutely ridiculous as well. You can't give Douglas Louise that amount of time just to pick a speak. Scores from corner kicks, for God's sake. <laughs> I've got John McGinn as the winner. Really a lot of big chances for Villa, but I think that one might have been the biggest. A lot of good work to make the big chance, but it was there for him then. Yeah, either that or Edric Condon missing a header from a yard and a half out. Yeah, 50p head, Kanza. The Peter Enkelman What The Fuck Award, only one nomination, not really a big one really, his ball over the top, Watkins gets in behind, Diaz is on him, so he's looking at the support runners coming in, and he just drills it at John McGinn's gonads. Just... <laughs> <laughs> McGinn's coming flying into the box, and he just hammers it at him, and McGinn just takes it, and he's trying, he's like, what is that? Put it on McGinn's head, we know what he can do with that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised John McGinn didn't try to head that because that was just as ridiculous as any of the <laughs> headers he had on the, during the Gerrard range. But we're not going to go back to the Gerrard range. Yeah. Um, that kind of reminded me of the one whenever we were playing together and you were on the right wing and you just drilled the ball into my feet. And I was like, what the fuck? And just opened my foot and had a shot because there was absolutely nothing I could do with it. And it just side foot it went flying into the bottom corner. Looked like a screamer for me, but it was just because I didn't trust myself to take a touch from your ridiculous pass. And whenever John McGinn didn't do that, I was, initially I was like, oh, why didn't he just shoot first time? Then I saw the replay and thought, that's why. Just elevating people around me. The... <laughs> <laughs> Let's give you and I, Emery, some proper praise here that Tim Sherwood, we played two number 10s and bamboozled them award. The high line, we talked about it there already. Maybe we don't need to go into it too much, but just it just allows us to, to press up. We turned the ball over so much. I think the stat was we turned it over 13 times in the Man City half. That is ridiculous, and that is the most ever by an opposition team against Man City in the Premier League or a game for, for Pep Guardiola. They were just flustered. They were, they, they, were, they were absolutely rattled. They didn't know where to go. They were trapped in, and it's all because we're playing that high line People can point it out. They can say it's dangerous. I think people are starting to realize like, this isn't a coincidence. Now we're 15 games into the season. They've caught people offside more than 20 times at the second best team. And Postacoglu's big high line. Like, it's, it's, it's incredible what they're doing. It's obviously so well coached. It's a fixture of all these teams. All these old players praise it. Like, it's it's just a joy to and And the fans now... Every time a player's caught offside, the ironic cheers, it's just like, you mugs, you got caught again. Everybody knows now how effective this is. Yeah, it's strange as well that people were, particularly your pals in the media, were so keen to point out how um, dodgy it was. And it's like, have we ever conceded a goal from a ball over the top? It doesn't really seem like something that's happened that many times that we need to be that we, it was ever something that should have been part of the commentary about Aston Villa. It certainly didn't happen anymore than we scored from balls over the top. You know, it wasn't a big anomaly in our defending. It's like, oh, if only they would stop playing that high line, they would concede less goals. Yeah. Just really, really lazy analysis where they weren't looking at the totality of it. They weren't looking at the fact that in 2023, Aston Villa have 23 wins behind only Man City's 26 wins. You know, this is absolutely ridiculous that you'd bother pointing this out. That is how Aston Villa play. So why why is it an issue seeing as Aston Villa are brilliant? Mm. The Tim Sherwood, the second nomination for it, the balls into midfield, like those brave 
I would call them City-esque passes, Arsenal-esque balls, just angled there's angled balls when the defenders are coming out, the fullbacks are coming out, the, even the centre midfielders are turning, and they're not afraid to just to just ping it 15, 20 metres further forward inside to somebody with a player up their backside, and they're all brave enough to pass it, and they're brave enough to receive it. It's just, and I know it just takes an incredible amount of coaching individually, system-wise, you know, making players better in general as well, but like it's... It's almost a bit of vindication. You know, sometimes we spend so long watching football, thinking, "Can we not just pass the ball to each other?" And it turns out, you, <laughs> it turns out you can. A really good manager can get them to do it. Yeah, I mean, we have conceded two goals from this recently enough from uh, Kamara and uh, <laughs> Diego Carlos cockups. One from the defender playing the ball out, one from the midfielder receiving it poorly. But it's also definitely <laughs> worth it. <laughs> <laughs> because because it's it's how we play it's so effective it gets us out of traps it keep, gets us to keep possession it gets the other all our team pushed back 20 meters because they've tried to press it hasn't worked now we've got the ball in a position of space because just one pass into the midfielder and one pass bang back out to the fullback the last nomination and i think it's the winner of the tim sherwood we played two number 10s and bamboozled them award i don't know if he's noticed this before about villa but nobody's bitching and moaning at each other. It is such a great thing about this team. Nobody's complaining. They're willing to run even when they don't get the ball and they're willing to run back when they don't get it. They're willing to put in the yards. They're willing to drag an other defender away. They're willing to just put in the yards going forward and when a player doesn't pass it when they should, there's no... There's none of that usual stuff that you would see on a football pitch. Just players, their hands out turning away, hands in the sky, wanting people to see, wanting people to see that they'd made the effort. Doesn't matter. They just continue making the effort. Just it's pure honesty. This team, pure honesty and a complete understanding that we're just going to keep doing this as well. And maybe when it gets like, I know I'm very aware that. A few months ago, I was saying, they're not complaining enough at Matt Cash. <laughs> and maybe, <laughs> maybe when he gets to that stage, they have you know, said to him, come on, what are you doing? They're obviously getting a bit pissed off, but it's not toxic in any way. It's just, it just seems like a, a squad of positivity and players willing to put in the yards because they know now, like, and that's the most effective thing of any management team that they could create is when players get it into their head. If I work hard, I'll get rewards because I trust in everything we're doing here now. And this, I think, is one of the biggest endorsements of the Unai Emery camp is that there's no bitching and moaning amongst the players. Yeah, I, th- I think a really good illustrative example of this is whenever Tielemans did try the back heel again and roller than just going, oh, what the fuck are you playing at? I think Konza closed down the Man City player the clearance is then shit and I think Bailey wins it back at the corner of the box and, be, and a chance is created I can't remember which chance it is that comes from that but we definitely did something with the ball maybe it was Bailey had the shot and it was blocked out for a corner um, but what that shows you is if you are going to complain to your teammates wait for the ball to be dead and run as hard as you can as hard as you would have done if the ball hadn't been played well into you and then you won't have to complain because yeah. you, more likely than not will end up winning the ball back anyway and a chance will come. It just won't be the chance you have been expecting two seconds ago. But once you start complaining, once you start dropping your head, once you start rolling your eyes, flicking your head back to the heavens, letting everybody know that your teammates are cunt, that's when 
your team starts to disintegrate, that's when you'll actually have a proper reason to complain because you won't have gotten a chance because the move will have broken down and it'll be your fucking fault. If everybody agrees not to be a cunt, then the team functions a lot better. Put that on a placard, put it on a <laughs> Stick it on the wall. If everybody agrees not to be a cunt, the team functions a lot better. <laughs> The I say Westwood. Oh, he was playing award. I've got three nominations. Could have had more, but I've I've narrowed it down to three. We were worried that Erling Haaland wouldn't get his suspension. That he was so so old after his antics at the weekend. <laughs> we tried to campaign online. It didn't work. The PGMOL didn't. We Alan <laughs> didn't get suspended but it didn't seem like he was there anyway so it was absolutely fine I've got a Kanji as well and I put down Bernardo Silva too just because he's obviously way more prevalent usually in games and he was so peripheral even though he huffed and puffed so he, I didn't, it wasn't like I didn't notice him in that sense but I definitely didn't notice him having an impact on the ball he wasn't on the ball at all. It was actually insane. Maybe, like, maybe we watch back the match. We'll see that we had targeted and we had targeted the pressure around him. We definitely targeted the pressure around Rico Lewis anyway. Um, that was absolutely so obvious. Even Pau Torres came running five yards out of defence three times to just take the ball or try to take the ball off Rico Lewis. Um, I think all those nominations are are spot on. Yeah, Kanji got moved into midfield. He was non-existent. Yeah. Whenever he was in defence, the ball was just getting lifted over his head non-stop. It was incredible how you, not in the game he was. And that just, I think that was actually what made you, your and Martin Tyler's hero look more effective. It was because we were running <laughs> against him. And the reason we were running against him is because Ruben Diaz isn't the fucking be-all and end-all that you, Martin Tyler, seem to think he is. It's because <laughs> he's not as fast as a Kanji, so of course you're going to be playing on his shoulder more than a Kanji's. And who was the other person? <laughs> Ironically, I can't remember who the third nomination was. Erling Haaland. Erling Haaland had those two chances, fucked them up at the start, and that was the last we heard of him. <laughs> the John Gregory, if I had a gun, I would have shot him. Quote of the week. <laughs> It has to go to Pep Guardiola after Man City's draw with Spurs at the weekend. Before the Villa game, Pep Guardiola came out and said, my feeling today, we're going to win the Premier League. People don't believe it because we've had three draws, but yeah, we're going to do it again. <laughs> Hasn't aged that well. Now I'm saying like it might age better towards the end of the season. We know City are going to win 20 games in a row come February to me. <laughs> <laughs> But in terms of like these midweek games now in the middle of Christmas, three days later, can't be getting that salty and then get your arses so firmly handed to you like that. Yeah, like if, if that's what Pep Guardiola's saying before with a match, why is Pep Guardiola turning up to Villa Park doing his best Gareth Southgate impression? <laughs> Fucking 6 3 1 formation. I haven't seen anything that defensive since. Since I last watched a Pep Guardiola press conference, I mean, does, <laughs> does, does Pep Guardiola watch football? Like, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure if we ask some of your pals in the media, like they'll tell me, they'll tell me he doesn't because he doesn't, he doesn't want to be infected with old ideas. He wants fresh ideas to flourish. He wants a blank canvas so he can innovate. Fucking blank canvas. I was like watching Celia Jimenez trying to touch up the Mona Lisa. It was pathetic. Rico Lewis and John Stones as your midfield too. Are you taking the fucking piss? We've got Douglas Louise and Bubakar Kamara. We've got <laughs> Telemans and McGinn talking in. Like, what the fuck do you think you're playing? He can't. 
the arrogance not just that arrogance it's stupidity it's just it's not arrogance it's like all your pals in the media saying he overthinks it that was just thinking poorly again Rico Williams and John Stones against our midfield what in the name of Christ was that Rico Lewis like it's even funnier that you call him Rico, fucking Rico remember Williams his name <laughs> It was strange. Like they played, they played six defenders. Like you're talking about Rico Lewis, John Stones, Akanji, Vardiol, Ruben Diaz. He was brilliant, and Kyle Walker. <laughs> and that's that's what they served up. Like thoroughly underwhelming, oh, birds and on disrespectful. Like like you say, did they have no concept of who they were coming up against? They have no concept of how well they can hold the ball, of how much. Um, John McGinn and and Telemans are going to be pushing on into number ten positions. How how easily Villa are going to pass through the lines and and they did and they didn't adjust like you say. He just sat there, almost like seemingly complaining about his players. Yeah, uh, absolutely ridiculous. And you know, I don't want to fall into the trap that everybody in the media will talking about how Man City underperformed today because the the big key today and you've mentioned it already was how effective the Villa players were at implementing that incredibly effective that incredibly effective game plan that Unai Emery had. Like I've never seen, I've never seen a Villa performance where every player was so on it, so plugged in and so willing to take the ball in every situation. You can see sometimes they were turned down by their teammates, but they were coming out and asking for the ball when they had players up their hole. They didn't care. Give it to me because I know I trust that my teammate will be there to receive it from me. Once you give it to me in a tricky situation. Let's just do the diamond meter. Let's just, Let's just do it. <laughs> the heart is bursting with, with pride. Like it's hard not to be proud after that performance. I would have been so proud of it regardless of the result. They, Jesus, they really put it to them. They dominated them. They were amazing. And we could just go through the whole team. Basically. I don't know who's not going up, but there's some individual things that I want to point out. And the first one is... Is Diego Carlos not diving as a form of defending, which we've called out players <laughs> for doing before? And Erling Haaland is all over him on the left flank, and he's every right to just go down and maybe when he's free, and he refuses to do it. He is standing up to that man because he knows as well the, the oxygen the crowd will get off that, and he stands up to him, and he eventually wins the free, and Haaland is rattled at that point. And Jesus, let's be honest. We were saying that we just need to get Carlos out of there more so to put Kanza a centre back, but it worked all right today. I must say, three <laughs> days later, three days later, it worked all right. Maybe we were all maybe Unai was just building up to this this standoff. Maybe his body needed Diego's power, Diego's strength, and Halam was so rattled by that one that a couple of minutes later when the ball was over in the right flank, whenever the two of them were tussling again, Haaland dives immediately, yeah. backs into Carlos and just throws himself to the ground. And the referee, who was pretty good today, bought it straight away. Um, it was like he was desperate to give him a free kick, like he wanted him to have that chance because that was the only chance they were going to get in the game. And I think that might have been the one that Douglas Louise nearly headed past the post. Yeah, uh, But yeah, David Carlos was incredible. What a performance. The only thing he did wrong was whenever we centred at the start of the second half. And I know we don't want to go into the negative award here, Connor, but that is definitely the what the fuck award from the start <laughs> of the second half. A routine from the start of the centre half that involves Diego Carlos hammering the ball an inch off the ground straight to a Man City midfielder where the rest of our team is pissing <laughs> up the pitch. That free, though, that you're talking about as well that Haaland died for and just bounced into 
Emmy Martinez's hands with Douglas Louise flying past him. I I don't know. Did Martinez look like he he didn't know where that ball was and it just nestled into his and obviously he just caught it because he's got reactions like a cat. And it just the way it landed in his in, in his basket, he just looked at Douglas Louise to say, What the hell happened there now? <laughs> <laughs> That is definitely what it looked like, all right. And I would easily believe that Martinez reacted to that in a split second, that his hands reacted quicker than his brain did. <laughs> Conser was really good in right back. He can't, can't, don't let it be lost on any of anybody watching these games. Henry Conser's Villa's best centre back. And he just he drops his shoulder and goes by people. He, he drives forward. He's so good on the ball. He can hold people off. He can get out of sticky situations. He's doing such a good job at right back when he's there as well. Yeah, and I think that's that's now the, the third manager who has been tempted and toyed with the idea of playing Esri Conza at right back. They're not all idiots, one of them is. And I think the reason <laughs> I think the reason that they can't resist it is because of the pace, the power, the ball control that he also has. Though all those attributes that make him such a good centre half translate so easily into a right back as well as calmness on the ball. Yeah, he's just a brilliant, brilliant footballer, Tom. Martinez is going up clean sheet against the champions, made two big saves in fairness when they only had their two chances. Big celebration after, big celebration after the game, getting the crowd going. Capau Torres going up. I just I just love him on the ball. He's brilliant. And then I think the one I really want to talk about though is John McGinn's arse is going up. And unbelievably so you'd think there's no more room for that to go up, but it's going up. It's it's like something out of Something out of a computer game like Smash Brothers or or Mortal Kombat. John McGinn, it's just, it sends out shockwaves. It's it's like you know one of these punches to the ground that sends out shockwaves. It sends everybody flying. You know they all fall to the ground because his arse is just boom boom boom. It's just like Donkey Kong. You know Donkey Kong slaps the ground and it sends out sends out those shockwaves and hurts everyone. He's, like Donkey Kong also has a sizable arse, like John McGinn. He's got an incredible arse. Incredible arse like John McGinn. And this was like, we we used to, Jesus, like this used to be the bane of our life. McGinn thinking he can use his arse in any situation. But like it's, it's, it's a long time since it's been a negative, really. Oh, yeah. No, John McGinn's arse is only a positive. Just, you know, add it to the list of attributes that he's got. It's a very, very... But you know, whenever we're talking about Aston Villa off air and we're just saying, are Aston Villa honestly just going to go through the season just passing the ball into midfield and passing the ball to their forwards? How are they getting away with this? Why does this seem so simple all of a sudden? It's the same thing with John McGinn. How have all their teams not figured out that John McGinn is just going to roll them? I've asked before, what can't they resist? His horses are not good. (laughs) Come on. So I, I actually have a theory right now. I think when... Other teams are analysing Villa. They see what they're doing. They see that they're passing through the lines that stop that happening. But their idea of stopping it happening is, bang, we've got a player on him there. That's it stopped. But it's not when it's John McGinn because of his arse. And especially when it's Bernardo Silva, he'll just hold him off and he'll eventually turn around. He'll, or he'll go another way if he has to. It's it's not when it's Douglas Louise because he can just shimmy away. Same with Bubakar Kamara. Leon Bailey. <laughs> you know, I think they think when they're doing their analysis, when they pass it there, we have a player there. But that that's not it stopped. You have to you have to stop these players in individually and they're also willing to take people on individually and then that just frees up all their players and then before you know it, you're scrambling for ninety minutes and you're just happy the full time whistle went. <laughs> 
And just like yeah, the the variability in Villa's attacks as well, like really emphasized by those four midfielders as well. Leon Bailey's feet, like how can you stop that? You can't. Like Leon Bailey's feet are moving faster than the human eye can process. <laughs> Douglas Louise get his studs on the ball. That means he can go in any direction. Can't do anything about that. We've talked about Juvalipa's hips and that are attached to Bubakar Kamara for some reason. And then John McGinn just eating you up with his arse. Incredible. <laughs> We talked about Bailey loads, but he's definitely going up. I think I started the season where we got hammered to Newcastle in fairness, but it was like, how have we gotten to a third season with Leon Bailey? I am so happy that I was so wrong about that. I'm so happy that we just let Unai cook with him in the kitchen for a little bit. And now this is the finished product. This is a, this is a serious, serious footballer. Watkins is going up. This is the very definition of the, the Vyman meter, the Andres Vyman. I could never hate you meter to give it its full, title ollie Watkins just soldier in there for 90 minutes doing that big job up front competing with the like of ruben diaz <laughs> but laying in chances knitting it together like i said putting himself about just a, a big honest performance from him yeah it was a good really good performance from ollie Watkins today a couple of shit passes played to him as well you know a lot of the passes were really good but some of them as well i was like yeah, come on, lads. I mean, you know, I know, I know. Liam doesn't rate Ruben Diaz as highly as Conan does, but you know, he's not a fucking mug. If you give him a five meter head start, Ollie Watkins isn't going to close down that space. But that didn't deter Ollie Watkins from trying to close down that space, and he kept running, kept going all fucking night as he always does. And I could never hate him, except maybe whenever he's got a head or two yards out. <laughs> I've never seen Ederson had his hit as many balls as we as well. And that's not just because of Watkins, a lot of great pressure from Watkins, good angle of pressure, but it's just because every player's being taken up as well by an Aston Villa player up the pitch and the Man City players are being pushed further and further into their own half because the high line is so aggressive. Ah, like is Bernard anybody else in particular that you want to highlight? Telemans is really good today as well. Kamara, brilliant. Douglas Louise, brilliant. Look at Dean put in a great shift. Um, quality of his crossing wasn't as brilliant as it normally is, but Jesus, you, you could just trust him in there today as well. His understanding of the offside trap was perfect. Um, sometimes he looked like he was going to be isolated, and then just one of our midfielders came back. But even when he did look like that, when it looked like it might be Bernardo Silva and um, Kyle Walker up against him, the, the body position he was taking up looked like it shut down the two of them, that the mm-hmm. option wasn't a two-on-one situation ever. He thought he defended brilliantly today. And I think that's probably the whole team as a comment. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be right. I also had the referee going up. He deserves credit. We cry enough about the referees. I thought he was actually very good. And I have Kyle Walker going up because he was tripped by Ollie Watkins. And he just bounced up and he helped Ollie Watkins up when it looked like, oh, did Watkins need to come in like that? And he look at the replay. Watkins doesn't catch him at all. He just trips him with his heel then because he's trying to come into the side to get the ball. So it's just one of those ones where you're just happy that you're happy the player's up. And it's not even just because the player got up and got on with it. It's just because actually the ball's back in play two seconds later from, from a non-event. <laughs> <laughs> so he pointed out that Kyle Walker needs praising for it. Kai Walker saved us a minute of our lives where we were actually doing something we enjoyed. And what we <laughs> don't enjoy is watching a dickhead roll around the ground pretend to be injured. Uh, the only person I have going down is Austin McPhee. There was a change in room picture afterwards. A glorious change in room picture sums up exactly how we're all feeling. Right, Everybody just loves each other tonight. And 
Austin McPhee isn't in the picture. And I, I really wanted him front and center. I wanted a Jason Tindall on this. I thought I thought Austin McPhee's getting enough mentions in the media now. They're all talking in about the him. fucking commentary, Martin Tyler wouldn't shut up about him tonight. Unbelievably so. And I think this is incredible because we're talking about his corner stats and his corners today were, were a bit annoying. I'm not gonna get not gonna dwell on them though. But we didn't have corners, we haven't scored from a corner. That was the weird. Every time we had to be, they've got they've got a brilliant set piece coach here. I think if Austin McPhee cut his hair, nobody would give a fuck about him. I think he's just so noticeable. That's why people talk about him so much. Well, he wasn't noticeable in the changing room picture, though. I was so disappointed not to see him there with a big grin right in the middle, all the players around him, and then I was dreaming of one day a management team of Jason Tindall and Austin McPhee just to see who would <laughs> who would actually hog the most headlines. There was actually one today, one chance we did get from a corner where the ball got trickled in and it went all the way to the back post for a left foot of volley. I'm not sure who had the volley, but it was blocked down. It was blocked down because all the players were dragged into the goalkeeper's line and onto the line of the goalposts. And then somebody was just free to have a spank, but obviously it got blocked down. Then I was thinking, that must be why we've been shooting from the last 98 corners for that one moment where everybody would be sucked in under the post and we can just play it to six yards out. Brilliant! What a genius! What a genius is right. In that picture, though, we did have Emmy Buendia there, just jumping up and down with the boys. Not jumping up and down too hard. I, I hope not. What <laughs> good to see him there? Big grin on his face, big smile. Ah, it's all coming together so well. As Unai Emery said afterwards, hopefully we'll have many more nights like tonight. Villa Park going up as well. The fans were unbelievable. The noise, like, everything about tonight was just. I was just beaming with pride watching it. I was just a culmination of all my years supporting us. <laughs> culmination of all my years slogging through life. And tonight, I got to, I got to sit it for on, you, Connor. <laughs> I got to sit on a Wednesday and just enjoy the most complete performance against the, the treble winners, the Champions League winners. Absolutely knocked them back down the road, embarrassed them, humiliated them, and beat them most importantly and do you know what Luca Dean put it better than anybody could have a few weeks ago and maybe we should just always sign off every podcast with this another one selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.